Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, so I encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn there. Um, We're going to be looking, uh, we're going to read together verses 1 through 10, and uh, it was my intention this morning to go through verses 7 through 10, but I think that probably we are only going to make it uh, through verse 7 this morning. And so uh, let's turn there to Ephesians chapter 4. And let's read together. Um, I invite you to to join me in reading out loud. At the end of that reading, uh, I'll say that this is the word of the Lord and invite you then at that point to say thanks be to God. You ready? Let's begin. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we've begun chapter 4, we have entered into this transitionary passage that Paul is using, moving us from the indicatives of chapters 1 through 3 into the imperatives of chapters 4 through 6. And quite literally, here in chapters 4 through 6, Paul is going to begin to tell us what we then should do in light of all that God has done for us in Christ and by the Spirit that he's been unpacking in these first three chapters. And so we see here that one of the first things he calls us to is to simply walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And we've been going through that. And in that we see that this manner of walking is humble. It is uh, filled with gentleness and patience with each other. I want you to notice, uh, if we haven't made this clear, that it's not simply a general patience just with life, but it is a specific patience with one another. Uh, Paul is very concerned here, not with simply uh, your individual plight as a believer, but in the collective community of saints that are here in Ephesus. This is a letter written not to individuals, but to a church. Okay, And so this patience is a patience that he is calling us to walk in specifically with each other, right? So I want you to notice the difference. This isn't patience in waiting for that thing that you ordered on Amazon to show up in two days instead of three. Okay, this is, this is patience and long-suffering with one another, okay? And bearing with one another in love He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so we've been talking about how there is a unity that we share together 
in Christ that has been given to us because of Christ, His work for us on our behalf and in our place. And so we are granted unity in Christ. And now Paul is calling us to be eager to maintain that unity. Notice it's not go obtain it. We already have it. He says maintain unity in the bond of peace. And then he points to where that unity is coming from. When he says that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one body, one spirit. And now we get to verse 7, and he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look just at that verse, and we're going to pick out some of these words, and we're just going to highlight them this morning so that next week we can dig into this sort of obscure passage in verses 8 through 10 where Paul is quoting the Psalms, but it seems like he's rewording it. And so we're going to begin to dig into what is going on there in verses 8 through 10. But today, I want to draw your attention to these words and collections of words. Grace given, looking at verse 7, each one of us, the measure and Christ. Okay, so we're going to be kind of looking at each one of these parts of this one verse, looking at the word grace given, the phrase each one of us, the phrase the measure, and Christ. And I would encourage you even this week to perhaps memorize just this simple verse, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I'm very thankful that Paul had a passion, a passion that, that we see is directed by the Spirit himself to make sure that the church was not ignorant, or in his own words from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uninformed concerning the active role and work of the Holy Spirit, not only in the believer's individual life, but remember he's writing to the church collectively. And Paul, three different times in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and here in Ephesians 4, draws the church's attention to the active role and work of the Holy Spirit in bringing spiritual gifts to the body. And he lets us know that God has not left us ill-equipped for the mission he has given us in the world to be as ambassadors, nor in the call that he has placed on us to care for the needs of one another, bearing one another's burdens, and so fulfilling the law of Christ. We need to understand that there is this dual calling that's been placed on our life, both to live as Christ's ambassadors in the world, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are therefore now Christ's ambassadors, making our appeal be reconciled unto God. But also there is a call for us as the family of God, the body of Christ, to care for one another, to serve one another, to build one another up. Even as we looked further into chapter 4 last week and we saw this language over and over again of, of maturity, of being built up, of, of being um, uh, grown up together as the body. And so here, Paul is drawing our attention to these gifts 
because he wants us to know that this calling that we have, both as ambassadors and as the family of God, to care for one another, that God has by his spirit actually equipped us to carry out. That he didn't just call us to it and say, okay, guys, go get it. Go get it done. In your own strength, in your own power. Come on, chop, chop, chop. Go, go, go. Rather, he has graciously given us his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has equipped us with spiritual gifts for the mutual edification and building up of the body. There's one other place in the New Testament where the gifts of the Spirit are explicitly mentioned, and it's in Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, 7-11, through 11, where Peter simply divides the kinds of gifts into two different categories, speaking and serving. I mean, ultimately, he just kind of boils it down in these two things. There's two kind of gifts. There's those that are, are sort of outward speaking and those that are serving. And he's calling each one to employ their gifts for the good of the body in earnest love. But regardless of whether it's Peter in 1 Peter 4 or Paul in uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 4, not one of these lists that are listed here of the spiritual gifts match, right? There, there is, they're, they're all different. There's some overlap, but none of them are exactly the same. Even Paul's uh, are different in the different letters that he writes. And so what we see is not so much a definitive list of all the spiritual gifts that could possibly be listed there in the Bible, but rather we see just partial lists, which leads us to understand that knowing what all the gifts are or might be is not Paul's intention in listing them. Okay, did you follow that? Paul giving those lists, those three different times, Peter giving his list, the, the, the lack of having all these things listed, it really shows us that the intent was not for Paul to write this and for us to go, okay, did you get all that? Let's write them all down. All right, which one do you have? Which one do you have? Which one do you Okay, these are the, these are the gifts. Let's figure it out. It, the intention is not for us to obsess over um, understanding what all those gifts are or might be, but rather that we would have an understanding that the Spirit who gives the gifts in the measure appointed is the one who will also direct their uses in our lives. Okay? Do you follow that? That whatever acts of love and service that God in His grace and by His Spirit have, has provided you the grace for, and what, what I mean by that, uh, grace to perform, is that there's something welling up inside of you to to live out those things, that's from the Lord. If it, if it is peaceable, if it is loving, if it is wise, if it does not go against the express word of Scripture, then go do it and trust the Lord to lead you and guide you and correct you if you need correction. Whatever the acts of love and service that God in His grace and by His Spirit has provided you the grace to perform, do them for the good of the body and the glory of his name, and delight not in your own abilities, but rather in the Spirit's provisions. So, what am I saying? I'm saying, rather, 
than trying to identify your own specific gifts obsessively, it might be more beneficial for you to try to identify the gifts that you see in others and build them up and encourage them in that gift. I'm going to say that again. Rather than you obsessively trying to figure out what your gifts might be, rather direct your attention to your brothers and sisters in Christ and see if you can begin to identify the gifts in others and build them up and encourage them in those things, in that gift. Speak that truth in love to them. So often what we view as what chapter 4 will later call us to, speaking the truth in love to one another, so often uh, we view that as only sort of a negative thing, pointing out sin, right? And, and, and we, we think that's the truth that we need to speak in love to one another all the time. And, and yes, there are times that for the good of our brothers and sisters and for the glory of Christ, that we need to speak the truth in love to someone and point out an area of sin that, that they may be blind to or perhaps are just rebelliously, openly living in and we need to call them to repentance. But that should not be the only time we're speaking the truth in love to one another. Another way that we can speak the truth in love to one another is as we see our brothers and sisters in Christ showing these gifts of the Spirit in their lives, we can begin to speak that truth in their life because they may not even realize that they're doing it. In fact, I would almost hope that they don't even realize that they're doing it. And yet we can build them up and encourage them and speak that truth in love to them. Um, we should be building one another up and encouraging one another in the Lord. And one great way to do that is to affirm for one another the spiritual giftings we see at work in each other's lives. And, and just think about this for a second. It's often easier to see how God is using others than it is to see how God is using you. It really is. And I think sometimes we fight against that and we, we wrestle and we go, oh, I, I, I see how God's using these people and why I can't really see how God's using me. And, and, and maybe we should stop like fighting that and enter into that and, and say, you know what? When you see God working in someone else, praise God for it. Thank God for it. Encourage them in that. Encourage them in love. Speak that truth in love to them. And, and look and see how God is using others. It, it's easier to see that than it is to see how God is using you. And perhaps it should be that way. And so here's what happens. If we all acted in this way, if, if, our, if our focus was not on ourselves trying to identify our own gifts and see how we can use them, but rather our focus was on each other and praising God for the gifts that God has given to our brothers and sisters and affirming them in that, watch what happens. It would not be long before those in our fellowship would know what their spiritual gifts are. And watch this. You go take a spiritual gifts assessment test and they exist. Here's the problem. There are so many of them and none of them are the same that if you took five different tests, you might come up with five different answers. And whenever I think about this, I'm reminded of a pastor I heard about one time who shortly after he got married uh, took a spiritual gifts assessment test with his wife 
in, in sort of post-marital counseling, and her spiritual gift came back as abstinence. Right? So uh, that was a problem, okay? Uh, and, and maybe they should have taken the test before they got married. But here's the deal. I, I think sometimes those things can be beneficial. I think oftentimes they really aren't. And what happens is it causes us to so focus in on these things. And then what do we do? We go, oh, you know what? Um, that's my spiritual gift and that isn't. So I'll do this and not that. Right? It's like uh, me saying, I hate the dishes. I'm never going to do them. Uh, and you're so much better at it than me, but you can just do them and I won't. Wouldn't fly in my house. I don't know about your house, right? I, I've got I've to make myself do the dishes from time to time, even though I detest doing the dishes. Can I get an amen? Okay, so here's the deal. If we, even when you do that, even if you take that test, even if as you take that test, you might get to the end of it and go, wow, you know what? And it's kind of like taking those personality tests online, right? It's like, how do you know me? Like sometimes that happens. You, you, take, you take the spiritual gifts and you go, oh, wow, yeah, I really did. If I would have known these categories, I might have actually said this. And you feel really affirmed. And then you wait two weeks. And then you go, but, but, but is that really my spiritual gift? Is that, is that really? Even then, there's like this doubt, right? And you might begin to go to someone else and go, I, I took this test and I don't know, do you think that maybe this is my, and it might be a little awkward, they're like, well, I don't know, I've never seen you do that. <laughs> and then you're just going to be depressed. So, I'm going to borrow a line from Paul and, and he gets more credit for it because when he said it, it still ended up in the Bible, so it's still authoritative. But this isn't God, this is me, okay? This isn't authoritative, but I think perhaps it might be wise Rather than trying to obsess over what your spiritual gifts might be, lift up your eyes to your brothers and sisters and begin to encourage and build them up in love. Speak the truth in love to them. And when you see God using them, tell them and praise God for it. Amen? If we all acted like this, it wouldn't be long before we would know, we would all know what our spiritual gifts are. And not because we took some intensive introspective test but rather because they have been affirmed by our brothers and sisters. Amen? Much in the same way, our natural gifts are affirmed. Right? Think about it. You didn't take a test uh, before um, you went out in the recess yard to figure out what games you might end up being good at. Right? What did you do? You went out and you played. And as you played, you and others figured out what you were good at and what you weren't good at, right? And, and you played and you enjoyed and what you were good at, you did. Why? Because you enjoyed it, right? And what you weren't good at, you probably stopped doing. Why? Because you weren't good at it and it wasn't enjoyable unless you're just masochistic. But anyways, I digress. Here's the deal. Go play. Go play. Enjoy the gifts that God has given. And if you think of a way 
that you might be able to love and build up your brothers and sisters in the Lord, do it and find out if you were good at it and if you enjoyed it. And if you were, then keep doing it. It's working. Amen? Where all the parts of Scripture agree, whether it's 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, where all of these different places that talk about the spiritual gifts agree, because they don't agree in the list of whatever these things might be, where they agree is in this, that there is a diversity of gifts, but one Spirit who empowers each one according to the measure of grace given. I want you to see this because I want you to see the continuity between what Paul says here in Ephesians 4 that we've already read and what he says here in 1 Corinthians 12. So turn over to the left just a bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to hear the common language here in verses 4 through 11. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, notice he followed the same exact pattern that he had in Ephesians 4. Did you follow? One Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. And here we see again that he does the same thing. One, same Spirit, same Lord, same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, but to for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered, here we go, by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what do we see? We see a variety of gifts, but one Spirit who empowers them all. And so Paul here, again in Ephesians 4, where, we, where our text is today, he says, but grace was given to each one of us. How? According to the measure of Christ's gift, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look quickly at grace at given, the measure. Um, what was the other one? <laughs> each one of grace given each one of us the measure in Christ. Amen. So let's look at grace. Now, here's what we need to remember when we see this first word pop up and it says grace. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. As contrasted with mercy, which is when we do not get what we do deserve, right? And so grace is when we're getting something we don't deserve in a positive fashion... Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve in a negative fashion. And God is a God who is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. And this is seen in Christ's sacrifice for us and in our place. But there is more than negative consequence being subverted. 
okay, mercy, there is a positive transfer of Christ's righteousness to our account as well as an adoption into the family of God whereby we can know God not as simply creator. Remember we talked about this last week as we looked at one God and Father of all, that all being an all without distinction, not an all without exception, meaning it's the all of the believers that Paul's talking about there. We get to know God not simply as creator, as all men do, as they are created in the image of God, but we get to know God as Father. Why? Through the Son. Because it is through Jesus. Faith in Him, John 1.12, but as many as received Him, being Christ, to them that believe in Christ, God gave the power to become the sons and the daughters of God. We're adopted in Christ. This is not simply negative consequence subverted. This is, this is all the riches of Christ, the blessings that are ours in Christ being added to our account. There is a positive transfer of Christ's righteousness to our account, an adoption into God's family whereby we know Him as Father and Jesus as brother. This is more than mercy. It's grace. It is grace where we not only avoid that which we deserved, which was for our destruction, we get that which we do not deserve, which is for our flourishing. Praise God, right? Praise God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's look at given. Now, even as we get to this next word, given, we're reminded that grace in its own definition cannot be earned, right? If we want to get the, like the Webster's sort of like more definition of grace, what is it? It is undeserved, unmerited favor, okay? Which means what? It, it cannot be earned, Grace is not grace if it is deserved or if it is earned. If, if that's the case, it's no longer grace, but a wage. You are getting something that you worked for, which means you deserve it, and so you get it. That's not grace. And if anyone tries to describe the gospel in those terms, you need to know that it's not the gospel that they are describing. It is law. Do this and live. No, Christ has done, therefore I live. Amen? That's the gospel. In order to be grace, it must be given. And so it can seem that this is maybe redundant, but Paul is reminding us that this grace truly is free. It's truly, truly free. It's not been earned. It is given Paul's already emphasized this in chapter 2, that this grace is not grace in sentiment only, but it is rooted and grounded in a reality that Christ has earned it. I mean, we could say that the grace that we receive was not free because God paid dearly with it with the blood and life of His own Son, but we receive what Christ paid for freely as a gift, something that's already been paid for. 
And that same grace that was given salvifically is still giving because grace is found not in a concept or an idea, but in God Himself who is gracious. Look at chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, meaning what? We do not deserve this, okay? We were dead, not just dead because we were killed. We were dead in our own trespasses. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now I want you to see this just quickly here in these verses in chapter 2. He says, by grace you have been saved. And then he says, and raised up. Remember, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we weren't only dead, were we? Beginning of chapter 2, there was more going on, wasn't there? We were also bound, tied up by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and by nature, children of wrath. And so this grace that is being granted to us, has done more than simply regenerated us. It has also given us all things in Christ. So we not only were made alive, that dealt with the dead part, but we were raised up, that dealt with the bound part. So even if we were to come alive, regenerated, but we're still bound by the world, the flesh, and the devil, we're in a world of trouble. But God in Christ has raised us up. We've been set free from that binding, that tying up of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then, still, remember, dead, bound, children of wrath. But what has he done? He's, he's transferred us from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. We have become, we have moved from being children of wrath to being his own dearly loved and adopted children, which means what? Not only were we made alive, not only were we raised up and set free from the world, the flesh, and the devil, but he has seated us with him in the heavenly places, which means what? Our station has changed from being a child of wrath to being one of God's own dearly loved children. Amen? And all of that was accomplished by grace. Grace that is ours, not in a concept or an idea, but grace that is ours only in the person of Jesus Christ. I want to just keep hammering away at that over and over and over again, that we are not coming to receive a concept or an idea that is separated from the person of Jesus Christ. When we come, when someone comes and are saved, they are saved because they have come to Christ, not to an idea. Amen? Amen. I'll say it. This grace has been given and has a further implication, not only salvation, but here too as a gift of grace. Gifts are given for the equipping and the building up of the body. Why? Because what does it say? Here in verse number 7, chapter 4, but grace was given. 
Okay? And then what does it say? It says to each one of us. I love this, church. I love this. Grace, it doesn't say, but grace was given to the really good kids. Or grace was given to the really smart people. Or grace was given to those people who had a higher station in life already when they started. No. And if any of us could claim that, we just got to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and read Paul's words all over again. He says, look, guys, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were, uh, not many of you had it going on. Remember, he kind of called us dumb, kind of said that we just were the scum of the earth. Like, that's where you were, right? Dead in our trespasses and sin. Bound by the world of flesh and the devil, by nature, children, wrath. That's who we are. We need to remember that. And, and yet, in that place, and because at the foot of the cross, there is equal footing and ground. There, there, there is no one who comes to the cross on higher ground than any one of us. We all come at the same place. And here he says, but grace was given to each one of us. And I love this because... This is an all without exception. It means every single person who is in Christ, God has given by grace to each one of them. And so what I want you to see is this, this grace is being given to each one of us. And while the idea of maturity, okay, remember all through chapter 4, built up, grown up, mature to the fullness of the measure of the stature. Remember that? Okay. While maturity, the idea of maturity is prevalent even here in this extended passage in chapter 4 and throughout Scripture, the idea of a second-class Christian is not. So while the idea of maturity, of growing up in the faith, of, of growing in, in wisdom and knowledge and, and, and all, favor with, with God, like while that is an idea that's in Scripture, second-class Christian is not an idea that is in Scripture. There, there's no such thing as a second-class Christian. Not one person is left lacking. There is no other interpretation to be found other than the simple meaning here that Paul intends to say precisely what he has, that each believer has been given a gift of God's grace for the mutual edification and building up of the whole body. Each gift is given as God has apportioned. And while some gifts may be seen to be public, they may be seen to be displayed more often, Perhaps the gifts that we see employed more rarely and less publicly might actually be some of the most important gifts in the Bible that, that are described to us in Scripture and, and some of the most important gifts in the body. Some of the most important ministry that's going to take place in the life of this family called Redemption Hill is going to happen and nobody's going to know about it except for God and one or two or three other people. Some of the most important ministry that's ever going to happen in the life of this body. Most of us aren't even going to know that it happens. 
Now, why is that important? Because there are certain gifts that are more public and out front and happen all the time. And, and there's this thing in us called sin, right, that causes us to want to compare ourselves with other people and go, oh, wow, well, they, they always get to be up front and they do this thing and, and now and everyone gets to see how God... No. No. Do not be discontent with the gift that God has given you and know that some of the most important gifts that God is using for the building up of the body are the ones that nobody is ever going to see. And there is more reward, I believe, for that than there is for the upfront public gifts that are employed. No one is left out. Every believer, even as they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, are also empowered and equipped by Him to do and to work according to His leading for the good of the body. Now, have you, have you picked up on that yet? In, in what we've read in 1 Corinthians 12 and what I've been saying to you, that these gifts that each one has received according to the measure of Christ's gift are not necessarily for the intended good of the individual that employs them. Have you, have, you, have you caught that yet? That, that you exercising your gift really isn't for you. It's not for your attention or edification or affirmation in and of yourself. It's for the body. Now, is there encouragement when, when maybe you don't know that you've really built someone up in love and they tell you and they say, man, I, I think maybe this is a spiritual gift that God's given you. Yes, why? So that you can praise God for how he's providing for his body through the mundane things of this earth such as you and me, right? But it's not so that you can go, oh, well, I'm, I'm just God's gift to the church. I've just really got it going on. You should come see me, hang out with me, and I'll really build you up in love, brother. That's not, that's not what this is about. It's not for you. It's for them. Just like our good works. It's for those who God has placed around us. These gifts, like the good works you do, are not for you, and they're not for God, as if He needed anything from you. He doesn't, by the way, need anything from you. Rather, these gifts are for those whom God has placed around you, specifically for the help, encouragement, and care of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's what's cool. But grace has been given to each one of you, and just like talents for which we may have natural abilities, even these giftings are things that we can grow in that can be strengthened and learned and matured as we use them. So maybe you're going, I don't, I don't know what God's gifted me in. And, I'm, and I'm, you hear me going, well, what do you want to do? Like, just do it. Just try it. Just, and figure out, did you enjoy it? Were you good at it? Did, were, did the, were the people helped? Were they encouraged? Were they built up? And as you do that, you might go, yeah, I, I think so. Well, what would my advice be to you? 
Well, go do some more of it. And what do you find? You find that as you do it, your, your faith in the Lord grows because you watch as He works through simple and ordinary means to provide for His, His body through simple and ordinary people like you and me. And your faith grows, you're encouraged, and your confidence begins to grow, and you begin to strike out and to do it with more and more zeal because you know that God is working. And here's the other part of that that I want you to catch real quick, right? Right here. Even kids, right here. Ready? You want to know the most beautiful part of all this? You can't screw it up. You can't. You can't mess it up. Or we would have to say we deny that God is really as sovereign as he is. You can't mess it up. Now, you can hurt some feelings, but you didn't mess it up. Go back and be eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. Paul wouldn't have said that to us unless it was going to be necessary. Right? You can't mess it up. Because even if in your zeal you go beyond the the boundaries of where someone really wanted you to help them, you learn from that, and you grow from that, and they grow from that if we continue to be eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. Amen? You can't mess it up. Four, according to the measure. Now, we've briefly stated this, but just to make sure, and we're going to wrap up here in just a little bit. There is a measure, right? This is what I want you to grab out of this. There is a measure. But the measure is not up to you. It's not up to me. It's not up to us. God gives and doles out the gifts by His Spirit and through His Spirit as He wills. Did you catch that in 1 Corinthians 12? I tried to emphasize that at the end. As He wills. What does this mean except that we can gain we can, we can no more gain spiritual gifts than we can add a cubit to our height, right? No matter how much I want to be as tall as Greg and dunk a basketball, it will never happen, okay? I cannot, by worrying about it, try to measure a cubit to my... I hate that verse. I hate it. I grew up, I loved basketball. All I wanted to do was play basketball. I slept with the basketball. I had a basketball hoop in my front yard, my backyard, on my closet, on my door. I would even had this basketball hoop on my bed with like a hole in the rim and a thing, and I'd tie the ball to my wrist, and I could like play basketball in my bed at night, right? I, that's how much, and I hated that verse because I started high school at five foot three, okay? No basketball for me. And I would read that verse, and I, I would like, I tried traction hanging upside down. <laughs> Doesn't work, okay? All right, that's funny, but here's the reality. In that same way, we can no more gain spiritual gifts than we can add a cubit to our height or somehow earn or pay for them in that same way that Simon the sorcerer tried to do in Acts. Okay? Trust the word of God this morning. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, the answer is not 
that you don't have one? How do you know? But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you're sitting here and going, man, maybe I don't have one. No, that's not the answer. You do. You just may not know what it is yet. And what does that mean? It means we need the body to build one another up in love so that we can begin to know what our spiritual gifts are. And again, Simon wanted the gift so that he could make money off of it. That's not what the gifts are for. They're not for you to benefit or profit or gain from them, but rather to use them to serve and care for the people of God, the body of Christ. Also connected with the idea of grace and gift is to know that it is measured by Christ himself reminds us that we ought not to be proud of them. Why? Because this gift is just one more thing that lays us under deeper obligation to God. For everything that we have is a gift from Him and nothing that we could have earned on our own. Okay? Christ, lastly, and we're going to close up. Before we can move on to the next three verses, 8, 9, and 10, I want to continually put before you, as I said earlier, put before your eyes that we cannot and must not separate the gifts and the blessings that are ours in Christ from Christ Himself. I'm going to say it one more time. Get one more pound on the head of that nail. We cannot and must not separate the gifts and blessings that are ours in Christ from Christ himself. He is, church hear me, he is the gift of grace we have received by the regeneration and application of the work of redemption to our lives. And it is He who lives in us by the Spirit. We in Him and Him in us and He in the Father and the Spirit in all. When we begin in faith, we are not putting our hope in an idea, but in a person, in Christ Jesus Himself. And every blessing that we receive from God, we receive in the Son and by the Spirit. Let us not forget that whatever we have from God, we receive by receiving Christ. Amen? He is the King of our hearts, the distributor of these gifts, for they are His alone to distribute. And it is the image of Okay, the image of Christ as conquering king that helps us to understand these following verses that we're going to get into next week. Okay, I want to end with this. Calvin, uh, John Calvin sums up verse 7 so eloquently and with such force that I want to share it with you before we move on here. He says that Paul describes the manner in which God establishes and preserves among us mutual relation. No member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able without the assistance of others to supply his own necessities. Now, sort of big language. Let me break down what he just said. There is not one of us here in this room 
There is not one of us in the universal Catholic Church that has such a measure of grace given by the measure of Christ's gift that we don't need one another. Not one. There's not one, no matter how holy a person might seem, no matter how much they might seem to be mature in Christ, no matter how much it seems like God is using them, there is not one person in the universal body of Christ, most especially not here in Redemption Hill, that has such a measure of God's grace and gift of the Spirit that they don't need you also. We need each other, every single one of us. And there's not one of us that, as he says here, is endowed with such perfection as to be able without the assistance of others to supply his own necessities. He goes on, he says, a certain proportion is allotted to each, that's what we've been reading, and it is only by communicating with each other that all enjoy what is sufficient for maintaining their respective places in the body. Such a diversity, he says, we are there taught. It is so, and, and hear this, you needing one another, that's not a detriment. That's a benefit. That's what Calvin's saying here. He's saying, such a diversity we are there taught is so far from injuring, enduring, that it tends to promote, strengthen, and strengthen the harmony of believers. He says, the meaning of this verse can thus be summed up. On no one has God bestowed all things. Each has received a certain measure being thus dependent on each other, they find it necessary to throw their individual gifts into the common stock and thus to render mutual aid. Is this not what we see in Acts chapter 2? Where they had all things in common? It wasn't just material possession. It was the very work of the Spirit in their individual lives contributing to the common need for the mutual edification and building up of the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Not one of us has enough to be able to be fully provided for on our own. And this one small piece of information may save us from years of depression and frustration. Wondering why we just can't seem to get it all together to be okay on our own. Here's why. Here's why you will never be okay on your own. You were neither designed nor equipped to do so. In this case, John Donne got it right when he said, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less as well as if a promontory were, as well as the manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Meaning, no man is alone. We all need each other. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24, when he says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. 
If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 